ladies and gents, welcome to the Shroom Live podcast. I'm your host, Shroom. Tonight, I've got a guest. His name is Dan Goulding, and he's from Dang Fishing, and he's going to be talking about chasing mangrove jack in the southeast Queensland area. Land-based angler, he's also a kayak angler, and he basically puts himself going through all the effort to kind of find all these spots which are far away from people and civilizations in pursuit of that next big catch. Always on the, what they call, off the beaten path, and he obviously has learned a thing or two in his pursuit of this species, and tonight he's willing to share some of his knowledge and his tips with us tonight. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dang to the podcast. Welcome, mate. Hey, Shroom. How are you, mate? Just realized I got your name completely wrong with a G there as I introduced you, but everything is all good besides from that one thing there. I'm actually looking forward to having this conversation. And folks, if you know, before the podcast, I always go for a fish and I'm, you know, I'm just off my, you know, up off my feet right now, putting in the hard yards in the daytime. Now at night, we're still talking about fishing. So hang on tight, get your favorite drinks, get your favorite snacks because we're going to be in for a good one too. Epic, epic. I'm looking forward to talking mangrove jack and stuff like that, mate. Um, it's definitely hard, hard work, but um, I am willing to try and share and help people learn um, about it in Southeast Queensland, that's for sure. Oh, that's awesome, Dan. Now, first thing, I just want to get into this podcast slowly. Let's uh, get, take it back from like gear 10, wherever I was, wherever I was back to gear one, you know, sort of just develop this, you know, develop the scene, the stage you know, get the background, you know, for this podcast, mangrove jack. So mangrove jack is certainly a species that I've heard a lot about, especially from anglers up north, you know, in your southeast Queensland area and further up as well. You know, in New South Wales, we have other species that we talk about, such as mulloway uh, and kingfish. What makes mangrove jacks one of those species up north that just gets people talking and gets people obsessed with this fish maybe you can tell me what makes you obsessed with mangrove jacks yeah mate um so with mangrove jacks obviously i think like the appeal of them they're such a beautiful fish when you look at them um stunning colors red they've got the lateral line all that sort of stuff some of the little ones have like a blue eyeliner under them they're just stunning fish to start off with but um they can obviously in our southeast queensland systems they can actually get quite big um you know you're looking the average fish a 50 to 60 centimeter fish is not that uncommon these days it used to be um but people are more and more people are catching bigger and stronger fish and uh yeah you think like you know even a 40 centimeter jack for example like um even on strong gear tough gear they will tell you up if you're not concentrating um if, if they can wreck your lures they can wreck your line and you can just be sitting there with your knees shaking a 40 centimeter fish and uh yeah they're just super super strong even like the little tackers um you yeah. know 25 30 centimeters that it's crazy mate and uh I love fishing for them. It can be frustrating at times, but um, there's that's the appeal for it. And I think also the fact that there's so many different areas you can catch them, right, in southeast Queensland. So there's we have a lot of landlocked lakes. We have landlocked creeks, so they just don't get a lot of tidal influence. Um, you have big systems, all sorts of stuff. There's some people catching them in freshwater where you can catch bass. Um, so they're yep. everywhere. Um, and I think when I started, well, actually, when I started jack fishing, I was always on the side of that they're pretty elusive fish, and they are, no doubt about it. But I was like, they're in this system, they're in this system. But in fact, they are everywhere. It's just a matter of trying to figure them out on the day. 
And right. uh, yeah, yeah, trying to figure out what they're going to take and how, how you're going to catch them. You just got to outsmart them because they are pretty smarty, smart fish, that's for sure. Yeah. Dan, I was going to crack a joke in the first two sentences of when you answered that. I was going to say, so you're chasing them because, you know, we're superficial. We like the way they look, you know, yeah. like. You know, just like uh, <laughs> just like a lot of things in life, if it catches your eye, <laughs> you gotta you gotta go for it. That nice I shiny like that. Thing. Yeah, that's a nice shiny thing in the window. You gotta go for it. Gotta go for it. Yeah, and then you alluded to their strength and their power. So that is definitely something that I've come to understand that mangrove jack has this exceptional ability to basically punch above their weight. You know, in boxing, they've got something called the pound for pound rating. So basically, it's a it's about a prize fighter or about a fighter, and they're able to take on opponents well above their weight class and still put up decent competition. So, hmm. mangrove jacks, like you did mention, that they grow to sixty, maybe even seventy centimeters. So it is not the smallest fish around, hmm. but like you said, even a twenty five centimeter could do some serious damage or pull really hard for you to basically second guess what's on your line. And that is basically what I sort of have come to terms with as one of the main things that has made people become addicted uh, to chasing this species here. Well, not here, sorry, in South Southeast Queensland and, of course, the rest of Queensland as well. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And that's why I'm addicted to them too. Like when I first started, in fact, I'll say it now, when I started mangrove jack fishing properly, it actually took me three years to get my first. Three years. So a lot of hard work and stuff like that. But once I got that first one into the kayak, I was yeah. like hooked for life. And, you know, when it comes summertime and the warmer months, there's not much else that I really want to chase, to be honest. Um, it, it's very addictive. Really, really frustrating at times, but super, super addictive. And, yeah, when you, when you hook a jack, when you've hooked your first one, you know yeah. it's a jack. Like even a small fish will run your back into the snag within a half a second. If you're not concentrating, if you're looking out, you know, looking at a mullet jumping or a bird swooping or something like that, or you're thinking about where your next spot's going to be, it's all over like that. It's it's real, like, you got to be, like, super wide. You almost got to be, like, oh, it, it, as bad as it sounds, you almost got to be, like, on drugs. Like, you got to be, like, real, real fired up, really, really got to be, like, really wired and um, ready to go yeah. the whole time. And that can be draining after six hours, and then, you know, you're six hours of fishing. And that's six hours and 15 minutes, you get your first bite, you know, and it's just, you've got to be, you got to be really, really focused. And that's the whole point. That's why I love it. It's a challenge. It definitely is a challenge. That's for sure. That's insane. I mean, I hear stories about this sort of thing all the time and people are using what 30 pound, 40 pound, 50 pound and up in terms of leader for like a oversized brim. Like from, you know, from my perspective, I know now being educated talking to guests like yourself about species like this up north and you really become more understanding of what is required because in that split second it's right in there and actually i wanted to ask you so you said three years it, it took you to land your first one so can, can you just give a brief summary and a rundown of how that story progressed like it three years is definitely a learning experience and i'm just wondering whether there's anything there behind that might further educate us or interest us as a viewer yep absolutely so 
started off, you know, most people doing brim, flathead fishing, that sort of thing with lures. I caught my first couple of fish with that and I got the idea and the handle of fishing, um, fishing with lures especially. And then obviously I progressed to the mangrove jack stuff as it was getting more popular here in Southeast Queensland. And um, yeah, the first year or so, I honestly really had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was, it was a lot of trying to learn, trying to figure things out um, and looking at a lot of YouTube videos, Facebook pages, forums, all that sort of stuff and just clueless. And what I would do is I'd actually like, you know, try and like most people do, try and research where the jack spot is, you know, where the, the secret spot is, the honey hole that people call cook about. And what I would do is I would actually over, say, the first summer or the second summer, I would actually fish maybe 12, 15 different systems once and yeah. I wouldn't catch anything. And I'd go home with my tail between my legs and I'd be like, there's no jacks here. Um, I, there's, there's no point wasting my time. Let's find another spot. Let's find another honey hole. But as I progressed with a year or two or whatever, and I caught maybe my first one, then my second, I realized that I should focus my attention on one system. And right. what I did was, is I tried to figure out, okay, how do the jacks feed in this system? You know, what sort of tide, where are they in the certain tides? Where's the bait in the tides? You know, sometimes, you know, the bait pushes up really shallow, real deep, depending on the current conditions, all that sort of stuff. And once I caught my first one, what I actually did was is um, I wrote down all the conditions. So everything from barometer, tide, wind, uh, rainfall, previous rainfall, all that sort of stuff. Um, literally even got the Google map um, coordinates, put it in, put it in a big file, big Excel sheet. And I still do use it to this day. And um, I look at it and I go, okay, this system, you know, this, se this session, I, you know, caught it on a rising tide or this one on a falling tide. And I just learned, you know, if you stick to one system or a handful of systems to try and figure out the different tides and the different patterns, then you can use that towards other systems. And then when you're exploring different spots, I think that's a big one that I learned over the three years. I think if I started and looked at one system, one of my local systems yeah. and fished it 15 times in that, in that season and try to figure different tides, different tides, I think I would be more successful then. Um, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, just try and figure it out for yourself. It's, um, it's definitely challenging. Once you get that first one or you even get the hit, um, it's crazy. You, you'll know when it's a jacket. It's not like a brim. It's not like a bass. It's full clobber, full, full smash. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's crazy. That's for sure. So, um, that's probably my big bit of advice, I reckon. Um, well, or the story with the first three years. Yeah. That was an interesting point you raised there about spending more time in one system as opposed to, I think you said about 15 separate systems having a go one time and then deciding that, there's literally no mangrove jack on the on on this side of Australia. <laughs> well, you know, on this side of the earth that I've yeah. tried all this and it's they're just not there. It's you know, it's not not it's just not for me. I know I know people like that. I know that there are anglers that fish for whatever species they're fishing for. I know that there are people like that. Whatever species and whatever location, whatever time, they'll go and try it one time because I heard about something. And then I would say that it's not about giving up, but it's almost like they give up on the spot that, oh, yeah, I, I went here and it's just bad for lack of a better word. You know you know what I'm, I was going to mm. say there. Uh, a lot of people say that. And then you just move on. And then before you know it, you've fished all the systems and you're now, you're now on Facebook say, hey, um, I, you know, like I... You know, like I, I tried fishing. Like I've tried fishing for this. There's just no fish in the sea. You know, you see those posts all the time and people are trying to like hop on with advice and, and so other people saying, you know, try again, try harder and 
you know, where are the fish? It's in the water. You know, all those jokes yeah. that come up. So it's funny. Some anglers are like that. And then there's some anglers which probably spend too much time in one area of a system and they don't want to move away from that sort of area where they're casting when if they just moved up a few meters or, or you know, just few kilometers up or down the river that they would have a lot more option and i think um i think as anglers we need to find out where where along the spectrum we are and then sort of figure it out so i was i guess i was more towards the not moving very often because i was always confident that i could put a little bit of time in and get something out of that spot but you know it's not definitely not the most effective way uh to chase the fish it's a lot of uh, a lot of searching and a lot of the times you have to go off the beaten path uh, with your own research and find these areas that the mangrove jacks are in. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it, it's um, it's it very as I said before, it's very very rewarding. And um, even like today, like the you know this season, I will go back to some of the spots I started when I started way back when with mangrove jack fishing because I fished there before and I'm actually confident that there's fish there i'm confident there's jacks there i've caught them or i've hooked them or i've seen them um that sort of thing and i just it's it's a never-ending game you think you figure them out you catch a couple in one one sort of like sort of setting or set of scenarios a certain weather pattern or something like that you go okay this is how you catch jacks and then like that it's nope they're completely gone and you've got to figure it out so it's always you're always chasing them you're always chasing them that's for sure that's the fun of it that's why i love it Let's just go straight into it. So let's say that I turn up to Southeast Queensland tomorrow and I'm going to, I've decided I'm going to, I'm going to catch my first mangrove jack. What do I need to do in terms of preparation and research? And of course, we're now then going to lead into like, you know, what sort of lures and gear and all that. But let's just start there. I'm coming tomorrow, Southeast Queensland. I want that mangrove jack. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing is that um there's a lot of behind the scenes that goes on with jack fishing so i spend a lot of time looking at google maps and that sort of thing so even my wife you know she'll look she's like what are you doing what are you doing on your phone i'm like i'm literally looking at fishing spots literally looking at fishing spots middle of the night middle of the day doesn't matter lunch breaks whenever there's a lot of research going into it and um yeah you just got to look for little little honey holes there's they are there they are there definitely in southeast queensland uh and they you know, in the warmer months, you know, spring, summer, even autumn, early autumn, that sort of thing, they're full of life, you know, full of bait, full of fish, and the fish will follow the bait. So um, I think the biggest thing is have a quick look on Google Maps. Um, I personally tend to go for the really, like, skinny creeks. So the creeks uh, generally, you know, only like 10, 20 metres wide, and sometimes a yeah. boat can't even get in there. And that's what I the appeal is to be, you know, being land-based occasionally, but mainly kayak-based is I can drag that kayak up over the sandbars, over the rock bars that boats can't get into, and I've got a better chance. You know, they're not, they're not getting the pressure that the bigger systems are going to get, you know, or the pontoons, for example, that get heavily fished around here in southeast Queensland. A lot of people tend to stick away from those smaller systems. They're like, that's too small to hold any fish. Um, but I definitely look for those smaller ones. So it, I Sometimes even on Google Maps, it's just a, a line of green. You can't even see yeah. the water. It's just trees. It's just trees. But, you know, there's water there. And I think... If you are going to come to Southeast Queensland, the only way you're going to figure out or learn where to fish is to actually just go there, um, even if, even without a rod. Um, this time of year, winter, um, I actually spend a lot of time looking for spots. So I'll actually just drive up the coast or drive down the coast and I'll just have my Google Maps spot and just have a look. 
go to the spot? Is it an easy launch spot? Does it look like there's people been fishing there? Does it look like there's life there? Like I went to a spot uh, literally just last week, actually, and yeah. really hard to get into. And it's like these all these mangroves and trees all falling over. So I'll have to like squeeze the kayak under to get into it. But literally as I was at the water's edge, beautiful area, lots of lay downs, timber, all that sort of structure that people associate jacks with. And on the other side in the shallows, there was a school of mullet, probably about maybe 30, 40. And there was a jack sitting with them in wow. winter. So you go, you know, I went to that spot, looked at that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to head back there in a couple of months time when it's a bit warmer. Um, you could definitely try and do it in winter, but definitely like that sort of spring, summertime, um, I reckon that's your best chance. Um, but yep. you can catch them year round, but I, I tend to put the jack gear away over winter and go for the empowerment um, bass, flatties. I'm starting to learn dewies as well. Um, still yep. very novice at the dewies, but um, jacks is where my heart is and um, that's where I try to spend most of my time. Yeah. Now for those that don't know where to start, so you mentioned about finding these skinny creeks. So I'm assuming you're looking at a lot of mangroves and snags and that sort of area. Is that the sort of structure that you're predominantly going to find mangrove jacks, sort of an upper river species, upper river target? So you won't really find them down down in the lower reaches in the bays, for example, or could you find them there? Yeah, um, it's a pretty interesting one. Um, like, it, in all honesty, it's just the fish and water, to be honest. So, like, we get a lot of flooding up here in southeast Queensland. So when the floods happen, a lot of fish push out, you know, towards the main systems and the oceans and that sort of stuff. But, you know, early season, that sort of thing, when there's only been light rainfall, a little bit of runoff, that sort of thing, they will mill up in there. And even over the winter, they will still stick there. Well, that's what I believe anyway. And, um, yeah, I think in all honesty, if there's, if you look at a, at a Google Maps spot and you're looking at a creek, and if there's any sort of vegetation on the bank, there's bound to be some sort of structure in the water, whether it is mangroves themselves or a fallen piece of timber or a deep mud bank or something like that or rocks, for example. So. They definitely do um, stick to structure, that's for sure. But yeah. I honestly, I've, I've caught them in less than a foot of water and sand. So they can be well, anywhere. So they're, they're pretty opportunistic. There's the old saying or the old sort of myth with jacks is that they sit in a snag and they sit in the spot. And if it's a low tide and there's like no water under that particular spot, the jack's never going to be there. It's always a low tide like sort of snag. The water snag has to be in the water and that's where he's going to call home. And um, as I've, you know, fished over the couple of years, that sort of thing, I've realized that they are very much like, almost like a brim, right? Like, so a brim will move with the tide. So, you know, they'll go into the yeah. deeper spots and then they'll move up into the shallows to feed and then they'll sit in ambush waiting for little prawns and stuff to come out of the snags and stuff like that. Jacks are actually pretty similar to that in that way. And they're also pretty spooky too. So you've got to have your wits about it. They've got this aggressive sort of nature about them, um, but they can be easily spooked like a brim. Um, in that regard but that's another thing that I, you know like as long as there's structure there and as long as there's bait there something's going to be chasing it it's so interesting I, I was thinking about taylor for a second about you know being a species that is extremely aggressive that almost eats for no reason and attacks other fish for no reason so a mangrove jack is a little bit more i guess reserved but aggressive it's got the power and it, what's its temperament like would yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. Like it, it, like every every system I fish and every time I fish, the jacks are playing up differently. You know, you could you could you know sometimes you can see them sitting in the shallows, right? And you could cast a lure five meters, ten meters to it, and it'll just dart off the opposite direction, like super spooky. Then some days you could do it, and they just come straight for it and clobber it. Um, they're really like, it's a really interesting one. It's temperamental. They're definitely temperamental, that's for sure. So 
although they've got that sort of hard nature and aggressive nature about them, you know, going hard on your tackle and that sort of stuff, you know, going really heavy leaders and that sort of stuff. Um, sometimes there's got to be a little bit of finesse about it. You know, you've got to be really, really subtle. And that's why some, some of the techniques that I use, I try to, you know, be as finessey as I can for those situations. But then sometimes I'll cast the lure in there and it just gets clobbered before it even, you know, hits, you know, goes a foot under the water. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, so it's really, every day is different. And again, I'm going back to the whole thing that that's why it's a big appeal for me. It's a, it's a challenge. That's for sure, trying to figure them out. Do you know what sort of prey they they, they 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 pretty much focus on so hmm. i'm assuming obviously mullet is high up the list like other free swimming fish but you know for example brim they also they, they might mooch on a few oysters or they might dig in the sand for some worms it doesn't sound like a mangrove jack is that sort of hmm. sort of predator what what are your thoughts on that it's it's an interesting one. I honestly think that they're just an opportunistic feeder. They will eat anything. Like I've seen some, you know, people posting on YouTube and that sort of stuff in videos and there's jacks that have coughed up um, chicken bones, like literally like Woolies oh, well. chicken bones, yeah, in pon- under pontoons or something like that or a bird or something like that. They've coughed it up in the live well or something like that. Um, I've seen them eat rats, you know, on, you know, the socials and stuff like that, rats, snakes. Um, yep. very opportunistic species. I think if the, if the food's there and they're very, and they're confident, they will eat it. Um, but you know, predominantly in the smaller systems, you're going to get a lot of, um, finger mullet or little potty mullet, um, herring, prawns, prawns are a big thing up here. Um, yep. and then, um, all sorts of things like there's, you know, there's some crab lure imitations that people have caught them on crabs. So that also kind of ties back to that whole thing of me saying that they're sort of like a brim. That they're very yeah. opportunistic, like a brim's very opportunistic, you know, um, depending on what it is. Um, but I, in all honesty, they'll just eat whatever. I've seen, like, I've heard reports, not personally, but that they attack each other. So jacks will go after jacks, like little jacks. Um, yeah. So some of the lures, some of the lures that people make and some people that, that use replicate a little jack, like their little red with the little bars or whatever um, across them to kind of get like a reaction bite or an aggression, aggression sort of thing. Like they're very territorial, can be. Yeah. Um, but then going back to what I said before, they can be super elusive too. So they're super spooky. I'm going to get into the lure, you know, the lure part pretty much right right after this question here. But do you think that they're cannibalistic at all or it's just purely competition and aggression towards their own kind? No idea. To be, I'm not, not sure, to be honest. I don't think there's been any like sort of scientific proof or evidence or research or anything like that to prove it. But I, I do believe they are territorial. But then... Some days they can just be, I can see them swimming with a school of brim, chilling, just happy, just swimming along or whatever. And then, um, but then some days anything goes near and they're just pissed off, basically. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's a bit of a hard one, and, um, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, they're, they're very, very, li- and again, going back to the whole thing, it's a challenge and that's why I love fishing for them. All right. So I've decided I'm going to, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to head up there, find a creek, skinny creek. It's got a lot of mangroves. It looks like it's a little bit off the beaten track. Probably not going to see anyone there. I might run into some snakes, some mosquitoes, but I'm <laughs> going to be all right. <laughs> yep, yep. What lures am I throwing? I'm there right now. I'm looking at the water. I see a snag. What, what should I be throwing? Yeah. So I think in this day and age, like we've complicated the whole lure thing um, very much though. There's so many different lures, so many different brands. Most of them will catch jacks. Um, it's more about 
Even those Blues versus Maroons origin lures. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Oh, the Maroons one is red, isn't it? So, you, could, <laughs> you know, act like a jack, you know, even those sorts of things. There's so many different ones. Um, but I think the main thing is getting the lure, like, as close to the structure as possible. Um, right. And when I say that, like, you know, you might be using, like, a top water lure with trebles or something like that. You've almost got to be snagging up every cast or you've got to be putting it in spots over a, a snag or something like that where you go, oh, God, I'm not going to get this back if I get hit. Um, yeah. You've got to put yourself in because, again, even if it's a spot that's not fished very often, a lot of your weekend fishers or fishers that, you know, just having for a social sort of thing, they're not going to risk that. They're just going to fish the edges or the fringes. Um, tend to like what people do for Barra up north. They kind of, you know, fish the edges of these snags. That's where Barra tend to sit. Um, yeah. they're, they're scared to lose their $30 lure. They're scared to lose their you know, expensive sort of gear. But I think the mindset, it's, it's, it's almost backwards. You've got to think about losing your lure. Like you've yeah. got to be like, you've got to scare, like as, uh, you know, a well-renowned Jack Fisher, um, John Costello from um, My Lure Box, what he says is he says, you've got to scare the paint off the lure. Like you've got to get it like this, like this snag, and you've got to get it right up nice and close and be yeah. scraping it. Because that's where the jacks are sitting. They're sitting there, they're waiting for something to come past or they're just sitting there and it's, it's either an aggression thing or it's, you know, they're, they're really hungry. So I think that's the main thing. But you, know, you can catch them on a variety of different ways. Um, and I can go. So and- what's, a, what's a good lure first stop to throw in there? What, what, what's an exact yeah, right, model, let's go for example? Into it. Um, yeah. Let me get, I'll grab one. Uh, while, while you grab that, I was going to say, so if I have a mega bass, I don't know, Garuda, What's that? That's about a hundred eighty buck lure. So I should just throw right there in the snag. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. If you if, if you if you want to catch the jacks and they're hungry, they they will eat it. So, um, so yeah, I some of the some of the uh, lures that I'm looking at now that I've got in my tackle yeah. box, you know, they're they're forty fifty dollars, but oh, that's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and some of them, you know, are barely touched. Like I, I've they've got no paint written off them, but then some of them are just horrendous like they've got no paint left on them because yeah. they're the ones that i like to use they're my faves it's like it's like cod fishing the, the cod lures here are expensive this is a well-known jack lure um, yeah any species really so that one there so i do a lot of surface fishing so that's a mmd splash prawn and that's the 95 millimeter version and right. um i don't know if you can see but like that's the side of it like there's a lot of hook rash and there's a couple of teeth marks in there. Caught me a 46 just a couple of months ago. Um, that sort of thing. So the MMD splash one's good. I don't think color matters. Uh, that, I'll just put that out straight there. I don't think color matters. Uh, there's another one. That's a different, nice little color. Yeah. Um, that's probably like my, every time I go jack fishing, I've got that tied on no matter what. Even if it's middle of the day sort of thing, I am still very confident to throw a top water lure for jacks. The, it's addictive. It's very addictive. That's for sure. The, the, the strikes are aggressive um and uh, it's just such a perfect little lure um the mmd splash one and it comes in a smaller version as well the 70 mil um that's I don't know that's if you, the one yeah. i've used yeah. yeah 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 i throw that for broom as well and i've actually a uh, season or two ago i actually threw it pretty often 70 mil for jacks and the hooks will stand up to jacks um they're really yeah. really good quality so again depends on the system if you're fishing a smaller system maybe like a, a landlocked lake that might have not much tidal flow the, the prawns might be smaller right so then I'll yeah. drop down to that little 70 mil and you tend to have to throw that on spin gear, but a lot of this sort of stuff, these lures are on bait caster gear. Um, so that's, the, that's like my go-to is that, is it any top water lure, but mainly the splash prawn. Um, that's another popular one. That's a G splash. Like look at that. Yeah. On the top. So that's teeth and, um, just that again, scaring the pain off the lure, just getting it nice and close to that snag. 
Yeah, um, before we go on with yeah. that, how do you get the best out of the MMD splash prawns? What's your technique? Yeah, so with these ones, they're so versatile in the technique. Um, so if you run, like I tend to, I don't know if the camera's going to pick that up, but I tend to run a loop knot. Um, yeah, I on see that. Most of my, yeah. yeah, most of my lures. So if you do a loop knot, it's actually going to get the lure to pop as well as walk the dog. So it kind of goes like side to side. So you've got a variety of actions. So you could, you know, get the lure in there, let it land there. You can let it sit there and then you can do a couple of bloops and stop. Um, you can do a, a straight wind. So not even blooping it, just like kind of put the rod up high and kind of burning it almost like a frog for bass, like a, 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 a plastic frog or something. Um, but I tend to like, you know, a couple of twitches and pausing it, letting it sit there and let it bob. It'll sit pretty flat. And it just kind of just bobs there. And I think the jacks kind of like sit under it. I've seen them, you know, sit under it and then they just roll on it. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. But that's, yeah, definitely like if you're starting jack fishing any, anywhere in Australia, even up north, but like the, I know the guys up there use the splash ones. They're really, really good lure. So um, I definitely get one of those. That's for sure. About, yeah, about the splash prawns, you must get a few brim, even on the 95, just pausing it in the snags. Yep, absolutely, yeah. There's a couple of times where I've gone in the, the natural creeks and I've called it for a jack and it's a 35-centimeter brim. Just stupid. But, um, yeah, no, they, they definitely love the bigger size. But, yeah, as I said before, I've used the smaller size too and some people think that the hooks aren't strong enough. They are. I've, there was a, a session, it's up on YouTube somewhere, but... I think I've got four jacks on one splash prawn, one not 70 mil wow. splash prawn, and I got another four or five hits, and the hooks were fine. Yeah, that's good. That that means it's a, definitely a good option then. Just mm, to... Absolutely. Everything needs a prawn. So, And most systems will have a prawn, even down in your way, up north, everywhere. There's prawns everywhere. So um, I think that's why it's such a successful lure. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorites. Now, what if the bite is tough? And say they're not striking top water, would you throw something else in that same situation? Yeah, because um, I, I generally do a lot of my stuff out of the kayak. I'm pretty limited in how many rods I can take, so I generally take three. So yeah. that's the maximum that I would do. So I would have something like a top water, like a splash prawn. I might even, if the bite's you know tough, I might even change. If I'm seeing mullet scooting on the top, I might go to a, a mullet pattern, like a walk the dog sort of thing. So as a top water. Like that one, like that's a duo pencil. That's another one. That's yeah. a really good one. Um, in the smaller version as well is really good. The sixty-five, I think it is. So I'll have that. I'll have a varying. I'll always have a top water on. Um, but obviously, you can go to things like subsurface plastics, like paddle tails and stuff like that, and um, hard bodies as well. They're probably the three different types that I have. Yeah. How best to get the action out of that last lure, the duo, the the duo oh, pencil? The duo? Do you just yep. simply? walk the dog a few times and then pause yeah sort of thing so I, I tend to use a lot of it for bass and i figured out how to work it with bass but basically casting it in there letting it bob it'll kind of like go nose up like this in the water and then yeah, yeah. you can literally just do a slow sort of meandering sort of walk and um, i think like if you think you're going slow go slower like with the walking like really really like it's exaggerated it's got a big ball in it too like a ball bearing yeah. so that brings it from afar um Definitely, it, I will always go for the splash one first, but if the bite's tough, you can always look for a duo, um, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, uh, that's just another option as well. Yeah, what about for, say, a different type of situation? Let's say, um, what's, what's another sort of structure type? I mean, you did mention you could find them on flats. Hmm. Yeah, 
So recently, the last probably maybe year or two, I've been doing a lot of, and again, John Costello from my lure box, he brought this up and he brought um, popularity to it, is um, skip casting plastics. I don't know if you've heard of it before with jacks, like skip casting paddle tails and stuff like that. Have you heard of that? Yep. Yeah, so I'll grab one here. So this is, it's uh, definitely an art to skip casting, like doing it with a spin gear is probably a bit easier, but doing it with a bait cast is um, obviously a bit of frustration because obviously you can get bird's nests and stuff like that. But Really? I've seen all these crazy YouTube videos of some guy skipping about 500 times, like right on the dot. <laughs> it's funny, like you go from, like I, it took me maybe, uh, maybe six, six to seven months in the winter to kind yeah. of get the skip casting thing under pat because you'd always yeah. you know just birds nest or something or over oh it's or whatever. it's it's so it's, difficult that's why yeah. these videos go viral you know they, it, you see absolutely. them skip it under i don't know what it is but just a dock or something like they're that. they're trying yeah. to chase um what is it not peacock bass is, is well, what's that bass they're trying to they're trying to chase these like tropical in Indonesian yeah, in fish, I think. Oh, it Indonesia, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're sure. just in these like really skinny creeks, and the fish are massive. I think it is a peacock bass, but I know they do like snakehead and stuff like that. Like snakehead's one of them, and yeah. but anyway, it doesn't matter. We're yeah. talking jacks. We're talking jacks. But yeah, uh, that, the... <laughs> so Skip that's casting. one. Of, yeah, so that's one of them, for example, right? So that's one of my favorites that has come up. In oh, the what's last that? Year or two. That's a Molex RT shad. Yep. Yeah, so that's a Molex RT shad. This one's a 4.5 inch, and they've got a smaller one as well. I started with the smaller one, fishing smaller systems, so it's just the perfect little mullet presentation. So this is the so that was the one I just showed you. So that's the 4.5, and that's the 3.5. So right. I've been throwing this one for Jewies as well lately, and um, the Jewies have been loving it, and they obviously love that one too. I haven't caught anything on that one though. Um, but they're really good because like they're super thin, in the profile so like you can see that so yeah. that's like skimming a rock so like when you skip it across the surface it's just gonna go like that it's just gonna skim a lot easier like if you've got a bulkier plastic or something like that um sometimes it can be a bit tough um but they're really really good like the finish on them is crazy hey so that's like a 3.5 um yeah i i gotta yeah. say i've never really used the molix yeah uh Lewis. yeah yeah molix I, i've seen yeah is, is that how you pronounce it molix yeah yeah molix and that's the rt yeah. shad I think I got a few lures. I think I got a few of their hard bodies, but they all look good. The, yeah, you know, mate. The... Yeah, there's, yeah, they're beautiful. Like that's like a, that's a that's a mullet every day of the week, sort of thing. So and a big eye on it too. So, but that's the, the like if you're looking for a plastic, you don't have to just do the mollocks, but you, a thin profile like that is really good and it's going to help you with your skip casting because the idea with the skip cast right is that you want to get it as far back into the structure. So like say for example a mangrove line like you've got mangroves sitting in the trees uh, sitting in the water and you've got water behind there and that's where the jacks are they're going to be up in that shallow stuff so you want to get this skip cast lure the weedless like that like weedless right through the mangroves as far back as you can almost sometimes even onto the bank and then you bring bring it back out because again your weekend fishers are going to be fishing the edges because they're scared to snag their lure up so they're going to be fishing these edges that's not where the fish are they're up here they're right up the back and um, so that's a really fun technique. And that's, in all honesty, with that, you, it varies on the day. So skip it as far as you can. And then you can either slow wind, so just slow roll it. Not a lot of twitches. You don't have to twitch it at all for jacks. And then, or you can even just burn it back as fast as you can. Um, every day it's going to be different. Right. I guess, yeah, I, I'm starting to understand a little bit more. It's like as though half the battle is getting that lure in front of them. 
in the structure which is going to get you hung up it's the, the fish is gonna i mean the structure is gonna bite as hard as the fish is gonna run basically yeah that's it and um yeah they're very as i said they're very structure orientated fish they do move around um that sort of thing in the shallows as i said they you can find them in the foot of water or whatever um but they're definitely structure orientated and you've got to get that right in front of their face because they're not you know if they have a pizza and let's just say for example they you give you put a pizza in front of your face you're going to eat it right but if it's, you know, 10 metres down the road or, you know, just over there, you might go, mm, I don't really feel like it. So yeah, you got to go to KFC. Yeah, that's no, exactly. <laughs> Get Uber Eats. Uber Eats. Uh, yeah, no, so you just want to put it right in their face. Make it easier for them. Honestly, make it an easier decision for them to either eat it because they're hungry or attack it in terms of aggression. And that's what it mainly is with that skip casting stuff, isn't it? It's a reaction bite. So they get it in there. They hear the mullet, you know, skipping along so it sounds like a mullet jumping out of water or something like that or something's chasing it they they switch on like a light bulb and they go what's going on and then they just don't even have to think about it they just hit it um so that's a lot of that as well so that's a really fun technique and um i've been doing that for the last sort of two seasons two or three seasons and um god caught some nice fish that's for sure yeah, I guess it's also a little bit more economical as well than throwing mega bass garudas in there. That's it. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you, yeah, is that is that a trembled lure? Has it got trebles on it? Yeah, I think it's got yeah. like two or three sets, and it's like yeah. it's basically like buying a not a statue. What do you call them? It's like an orn- it's like a lure, yeah. but it's so expensive. It's basically buying an ornament to put on yeah. the, on the top of the fireplace. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and there are lures more expensive than them too. Some mm. other mega bass, I just can't remember, but it's. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Some of yeah. these swim baits. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some of the boys are starting to do swim baiting stuff for Jacks at the moment. It's crazy. Um, I've seen there's a couple of YouTubers that do it, but I haven't done that yet. Um, one day maybe, but that's crazy. They're using $60, $70, $80 lures and the Jack just gone. <laughs> Takes your lure gone. So, but no, this is definitely a bit more economical using a packet of these. You know, you get a pack of what, five and they're like 15 bucks. And they're pretty good quality. They're pretty good quality, that's for sure. They might rip and tear a little bit. Um, they're not like a Laztec. Um, even if you wanted to do, if you wanted to go that route, you can do the Elastec. So that's another one. So that's a Z-Man um, Minnows. That's a three inch. You know, that sort of thing. So the, the jacks will take, you know, it'll take a while for them to wreck that. Um, and you can run that weedless on like a chin locks. I think that's called a chin locks hook. But yeah, you can see it's got the weight on the bit on the bottom, so that'll help it, you know, skipping it in and then bringing it back, and it kind of keeps it straight. So that's another one. Um, Just say these sort of weedless uh, rigs are practically mandatory for the structures that I fish. Yes, um, so the skinny creeks with the mango structures and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're fishing the in southeast Queensland, we have a lot of pontoons, as I've said. Um, if you're fishing around pontoons and stuff like that, you can generally control it if you have an exposed hook. Um, you can do the skip casting too. Like I've seen, obviously, people skip cast like in the Gold Coast canals or Sunny Coast canals, you know, behind the pontoon, bring it back through the shadow, that sort of thing. Same sort of idea. Um, you could run that exposed. But, yeah, definitely for the skinny creeks, like the natural structures, if you want to get it right in their face, uh, yeah, I would definitely run the weedless, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, obviously, you're not going to find too many pontoons off the beaten track, but would you still use the same techniques for that sort of structure? For pontoons? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I to be honest, like sometimes, yeah, so I'll use a depend I, I haven't fished pontoons for maybe a season or two now. Um I just love being out in nature and that sort of thing. The the scenery is half of it. You know, being out yeah. in the creek early morning as the sun's rising, the birds are chirping. Um, it's beautiful out there. The pontoons aren't bad, like, you know, it's just someone's neighborhood and 
half the time you get roused at, you know, some bugs telling you, you can't fish here sort of thing. So sometimes it's like that. Um, but similar techniques, you just want to get it close to that structure, which is the pontoon, right? So you get yeah. it nice and close into the shadows. Um, you could use those splash prawns early morning, um, late afternoon. Um, plastics, you can skip them in there. And then, as I said earlier, the third one's probably the jerk baits or the hard bodies. Um, that's a popular one around pontoons as well, trying to get a reaction bite from a pontoon with a jerk bait. But I do that in the skinny stuff too, up in the up in the creeks. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's go through some jerk baits or hard bodies if you have any there. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just grab some. Um, what have we got? There's a few that people will know about. Um, that have been yep. popular over the years. Um, so this one, for example, here, this is probably my favorite. Um, so this is a Lucky Craft Pointer. Um, so that's the 78, I believe it's called. Yeah, 78 XD, I believe it's called. Um, are they, um, yeah. Are they hooks that you've changed? They look like no, it's... So these, yeah, so these ones will come on them. So depending on which ones you get, there's a few different types. You can get like the Australian ones will have the decoys on them. Um, yep. You can get silent, you can get rattling ones. So for example, I haven't changed the hooks on these, so this is a silent one. That's a lucky craft, still same thing. Got nothing yeah. in it. And then this is this the standard stock hooks that come with this, and this is the it's got a, like a really loud sort of rattle in it. Um, again, depending on the day, I don't think it really matters, to be honest, the rattle or not. Um, I've caught on both. Um, so that's a popular one. And then like something like your um, jackal squirrels. That's another popular one too. Same thing, you can get rattling ones and silent ones. Um, that's the 70... 79, I think it is. Yeah. Jackal Squirrel 79 or something like that. Yeah, 79. Uh, but yeah, either or will work. They both work similar. Uh, with those ones, if I'm going to be fishing them in the shallow creeks or whatever, I would be mainly looking at rock bars or fallen timber, like structure, like just like logs that are sitting. And I won't really like go near mangrove lines or something like that. That's when that skip casting plastic comes into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, that's another effective way of doing it. It's a lot easier. Um, because it's just mainly, obviously, like you can just jerk bait, as the name suggests. You can just twitch it. You can let it sit there, whatever. You can just wind it back in. There's a variety of ways you can do it. And if you're on a rock bar, for example, with the bib, it will tend to bounce off the rocks. Whereas, yeah. like, if you have, like, you know, an exposed plastic or something like that, it might just snag up straight away. Even the weedless ones sometimes snag up in the rocks. Um, but that just kind of digs in um, yeah. and kind of bounces it off. So that's another option as well. But they're probably, yeah. Overall, they're the three different ones that I do, surface, the plastic, and the hard body. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about conditions, like, you know, conditions which may matter in jack fishing, you know, tides, barometer, rainfall, et cetera, et cetera. So as I said earlier with the whole Excel spreadsheet, you can catch jacks in almost any conditions, um, like, you know, rising tide, falling tide, high barometer, low barometer, um, new moon, full moon, half moon. I don't think it really matters, but if I like was looking, like if I saw and like I had a week to fish and I could yep. pick one day and like the conditions, the conditions I'd look for is something like early morning, right? So I like to go out early morning, late afternoon, um, a nice humid morning. So like a nice warm the night before, um, or it's going to be really hot during the day. Um, I'd probably look for a slight breeze. I think glass out conditions are nice and really nice to be out in, but sometimes those jacks can be a bit spooky. So if you've got yep. a little bit of breeze on the surface or whatever, those splash ones will still cut through it. It's fine. But you can hide your presence a little bit too, um, yep. your shadows, that sort of thing, especially in a creek that hasn't seen a lot of people. Um, so that's one. Um, I would choose a rising barometer. Um, there's obviously, you know, the saying 10, 20 and fish are plenty or whatever. Um, yep. To be honest, yeah, I've caught them in, 
990 barometer, like a really low barometer and a 1020 or 1030. I've called them in all sorts um, or had hits from them um, per se. So I don't think that really matters. If it was, I look for a rise or a change in barometer. So like if it's going from 1020 to 1025 um, yeah. or down, I think that might have something to do with it. I don't know. I don't know what the research is, uh, but that's what I tend to look for. Um, what else? Oh, I'd say the biggest one for me, well, not biggest one for me, but if there's some sort of cloud cover. Um, so you can catch them on bluebird sky days, you know, no sun, you know, sun's out, that sort of thing. But yeah. I definitely think that cloud cover, as soon as, like, it's crazy. Like sometimes, like if there's just one big cloud, right, that comes over and it covers the sun and it goes yeah. real dark or whatever, you see the bait, the bait just moves. It just goes everywhere, right? So like they'll be tucked in the mangroves or whatever. And as soon as that sun's over, the bait just moves out to the open. So, yeah. you know, sometimes that's played, played advantage to me. Like the jacks will just go on a feeding frenzy for 30 seconds sort of thing. Jeez. They'll sit in the, you know, they'll sulk in their snag because the sun's up. And then as soon yeah. as it's, you know, a bit dark, they're like, oh, goody. And they can go out and snack it. So that's another thing. I probably look, you know, 90 to 100% cloud covers is like good. Like I love that. That sort of thing. Yeah. And that generally ties in with a humid day, like you've got a, a storm coming or something like that. Um, but definitely there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, if there's a storm rolling in in the afternoon, that's where the jacks bite their head off. Um, yeah. they, it's something, again, we don't know whether it's to do with the barometer or something like that. Um, but, yeah, they're probably the conditions I'd look for, you know, really cloudy, humid, um, that sort of thing, light winds. And tide, again, Tide depends on the system. You just got to fish the system at the different tides and they're going to beat in different ways. Yeah. But again, if it was, if I could pick the perfect day and like make it, I would say like early morning, a high tide, and then it's starting to run out. Um, that sort of run out period at the top of the tide in, this, in these shallow creeks, right? Because sometimes at low tide, there's no water for kilometers. And yeah. the water just gets up on a big tide and the fish will go up with the bait or whatever. And then they drop back. But I think like a, a run out tide is definitely a, a, a better feeding time for the jacks. Um, yeah. But I've caught them in the run in too. So, you know, you think you know them, but then they just throw a curveball at you. What about um, in terms of the gear that you need to use to throw some of these lures? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, oh, I was caught up. So, as, as I've obviously alluded to before, that they're really aggressive and stuff like that. So, I have caught them on finesse stuff. I caught uh, 45 on six pound going for broom. Um, so sometimes you can be lucky, but I wouldn't be running that full time. I would at least be looking at like, obviously you can do bait caster or spin, whichever yeah. your preference. If you prefer to, I prefer to throw bait caster for the accuracy and getting that lure right in. Um, but I'd be starting off with at a minimum 20 pound braid, like a main line. I run yes. 30. I've just changed, I've just changed my mind now to 30 just because I don't think they're too leader shy or braid shy. I think you'd rather, I'd rather have a little bit more strength, um, with the 20 versus 30 and then a 30 pound leader. Um, uh, that's a non-negotiable, I reckon about 30 or, or 20 or 30. Yep. Um, but yeah, like I prefer the 30s just because again, because it's also insurance too. Like you casting that lure right in there. You're going to be up against a, a oyster or a log or something like that. It, that's going to help you. you. You can't do that with six pound, right? You can't throw up MMD splashboard in there with six pound. You're just asking for it. That's right. Yeah. Don't be like me. <laughs> Mate, I, oh, I, no. I, I, I threw some um, MMD splashboards on six pound at some kingfish. Oh. I, was chase, I was chasing brim though, but they just turned yeah. up and I yeah. just couldn't help it. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, and, and that, like, I was fishing for broom that day. I got that one on six pound 
and he was just it, it was a few years back it's on my channel but um he had this munched face like his his jaw was really weird i don't know what was going on with him but he was 45 so if he had a full jaw he would have been bigger um but he was just chilling with the brim and it was a bright as day no snow clouds or anything like that and he hit a surface lure in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah so like it does you can do it you can be lucky and um yeah you know the saying you go light to get the bite um i think it plays into the some some fishermen when i started jack fishing i was like you need to go light to get the bite because they're leader shy but yeah. as soon as you do that they just will towel you up and then you just you're sad <laughs> you're real sad <laughs> i think yeah just everything that i've heard about them because i had andy spawn on come on and he talked about you know some landlocked giants in you know southeast queensland area and you talk about gts and mangrove jacks was another species we sort of touched on mm-hmm. and you know some of these fish were getting really big like 50s 60s and even 70s he i think he's hunting a 70s still but he's caught i think mid or high high 60s mm. and the leaders that you just need to run just to have a have a realistic chance of landing them is just insane or a yeah. i mean a, a 60 centimeter fish isn't small but to me, it's just that's just an oversized brim, and you're needing sixty, you know, fifty, sixty pound mm. yep. leaders. That's just crazy. Yep, it's just they don't what, care. Yeah, they they really don't care. They see it, they go thank you, and they'll take it back home to the, for themselves. Yeah. Now I want to loop back around and talk about um, one more condition, and which is rain, and mm-hmm. how you think that affects, you know, the you know the mangrove jack fishing. You know, particularly since we're talking about creeks and, you know, far up the system, surely that's got to have a huge impact even if you have a little bit of rain. Yeah, absolutely. Every system is different. And again, go back to one of your systems, try and figure out in different conditions. Go go to the system after a week of rain or something like that, the week after a significant rainfall, something like that. Because some of the creeks I've found, um, especially the ones that have got less tidal influence, like they're semi-landlocked, so they'll only get tidal influence from the ocean, say, on yeah. like a, a high, uh, like a full moon, like when the tide's really big. But most yeah. of the time, it's locked. But if they have a, a tidal outflow, they have a lot of drains and stuff like that, and pushing a lot of fresh water in, and those jacks will sit, you know, in that current sort of thing. So that's another option as well. Um, but if you're looking at a natural, off the beaten path sort of creek that I tend to fish. I generally wait, you know, at least a week or two after a significant rainfall event. So significant, I'd say more than 30 to 50 mils. So, yeah. but, if it, but if it's 10 to 20, it doesn't bother me. In fact, that probably encourages me because I think, don't quote me, but I believe that, you know, like the prawns and stuff like that start moving and they start, I don't know, breed per se, or they start getting more active when it, after a little bit of fresh. And yeah. it's just a change in the system. Like it's, imagine like a stagnant pond. And then you get a little bit of flushing, a little bit of flow or oxygen or something like that. Um, that can turn the fish on too. So it's just food for thought. Um, you just have to go out there and try it really. Look, uh, I'm going to ask you, you know, a bunch of like questions that I've come up with that are sort of still related to the what we're talking about, which is mangrove jack fishing. But, um, you know, just a little bit off a tangent. Uh, my first question is, do you do any fly fishing? Well, I've, um, I, I bought a fly rod a long time ago, a uh, fair few years ago, and I did like a, a occasional brib fish or whatever, stuff like that, flatties, that sort of thing, just before the channel, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But I've just recently brought it back up and uh, about four months ago or so, towards the end of the jack season, which, you know, autumn sort of period, um, I tried to go for them 
on the fly, the jacks on the fly. And I ended up getting only a little tacker. He was only, you know, 25, 30 centimetres, but that was fun. That was definitely fun. And if, you, if you're if you a serious fly fisherman, like people would know, like serious fly fishermen would try and go for jacks and they would and they'd come up trumps. Um, it obviously just makes it a lot harder. But at the same time in Southeast Queensland, not a lot of jacks are seeing a lot of flies. So if you're a fly fisherman, don't be don't be daunted by this big aggressive fish. Like I reckon you you're definitely within a chance. And if you get, you know, flies that work like the splash prawn or um a little mullet imitation or something like that, that could work. But yeah, um that was fun doing that. And I actually caught a um a tarpon as well when I was going nice. to jacks as well. So I've never caught a tarpon before and um, I know that they were in that particular system and I didn't know what was busted up. So I just cast at it and um yeah, I got a couple of hits um from on that session and um that's up on um youtube as well so if you wanted to have a look at that but that was pretty fun yeah i was about to say my next question was we've you've alluded to it a few times that you have a youtube channel uh can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah mate so no no fancy um sort of stuff or anything like that it's a pretty small channel only you know a couple of thousand compared to big shroom over here and um anyway but um it's good fun i try to upload every every week or so uh just trying to fit in between work and other commitments and stuff like that like the most of us but um it's good fun and um i the main reason why i do it i don't do it for popularity or anything like that is i like to document my fishing sessions to teach people or you know help people in directing them into what to do and that sort of thing or what you can experience right like a lot of people have kayaks but they don't know that you can get into some really beautiful locations and that sort of thing. If you put your put a little bit more effort in or something like that, and I just try to like showcase that. Um, yeah. And that's and another thing as well with the YouTube. I started the YouTube channel because I always had a GoPro or a camera with me when I went fishing. Um, it's a platform for me to look back on fishing, you know, 10, 20 years time when I can't go kilometers down a beach and chuck the kayak in that sort of thing when I'm, you know, old and gray. Um, so it's something to look back on in the um, in the past, and hopefully a uh, number of people can learn from it and try and get the same experience that I feel when I you know, hook up to a jack or something like that. Yeah. Now I've got a question just for YouTubers. I asked Andy this question as well, and that is, a lot of people ask me, they want to start a YouTube channel. What's some advice that you can provide for someone that really wants to do this? make some videos yeah i reckon the biggest thing is just be yourself don't try and copy anyone um don't try and be as impressive as someone else just be yourself i started that when i started i was trying to you know uh be popular per se or you know try and get the views and get the likes and that sort of thing and i would share my stuff on all sort of facebook platforms all different things and that sort of stuff but at the end of the day if you make interesting content or you showcase interesting stuff people are going to enjoy it, you know, and then people are going to watch it and people are going to talk about it. So I've definitely taken that on board in the last sort of couple of years with my channel. And um, I've really kind of taken a step back about worrying about, oh, what do people think about me is more just like, this is my fishing session. Let's make it into some sort of edit. And so that people can kind of be there with me, um, almost like they're in there with the kayak with me watching what's happening. Yeah. That's some, that's some great advice, Dan. Now, Surely you would have had some fans ask you certain questions over and over again. Now I'm just asking you to think about what's the most common question you get asked. I'm pretty sure Andy said this the exact same thing, but where do you fish? Where's your spot? That's not a yeah. thing. So that's I, I bet that's probably what you get too. 
I, I get that. A f- I get that a few times. I get a lot yeah. of questions, but yeah, de- that definitely is in uh, regular rotation. Uh, where where's this uh, video at? Or where were you at? I forgot. Uh, you know, I, I even get comments such as, "Oh, I love that spot." Uh, where was it again? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, there's. I'll I'll put the coordinates in the comment section. You know, I'll put the exact location. Um, yeah, no, that's probably the biggest question I get, and it kind of defeats the purpose for me. You know, I don't. I don't have a problem sharing my spots with people. Some people already know, you know, like they can see like a particular structure or something like, oh, that's that creek or whatever. But half the thing for me is trying to figure it out for yourself. You know, like I love the fact of, oh, you know, look, this time of year, winter, I'm looking at a creek and I go, could this potentially be a really good creek? Yeah. Could this really? And then so I go there and I try and figure it out for myself. Um, Obviously, you can use external sources, you know, people fish there in the past or whatever. Um, but I like to try and figure that out for myself. So it kind of defeats the purpose when someone goes, where's this spot? I just, uh, like, I don't mean to be rude or anything to them, but, like, it is hard work. There's a lot of, as I said, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, so there's a part of me that wants to keep it to myself. But at the same time, it's it gets those people out and trying to explore and try and do the same stuff that I'm doing. I just say Southeast Queensland. <laughs> yeah. So Here's that's another a, you know, question. Yeah, 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 carry on. No, you're right. That's when I say Southeast Queensland, that's like a 500 kilometer stretch. So <laughs> <laughs> now this is another question. What's, uh, what's the best camera to, to get? Oh, right. So like to start up, like just a chest mount camera or something like that yeah. to start filming. So yeah, usually okay. the question I'll get is, uh, what GoPro should I get or what oh, chest yeah. camera should I get or what camera should I get? Yeah. Well, we were actually just talking about this just prior before we started recording, but I've started the last sort of year and a half year sort of thing running the DJI action cameras. And um, Drew M, I don't know if you've heard of Drew M. He's a YouTuber. Yeah, so I fished with him a long time ago and he started with the original DJIs and he was telling me how good they were and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I had a couple of GoPros then and they just overheat and have SD card errors and stuff like that. But since buying these, I got the DJI three. I think it is the Action three. Um, yeah, it's faultless. Beautiful, like quality on it. Like the the pictures is perfect on it. And um, another thing too is it's um, the uh, attachments that you put onto like your little GoPro mounts or whatever. Is, it's um, magnetic. So oh, yeah, that's right. Use, yeah, yeah. So you don't have any screws or anything. So I don't have to screw anything anymore. It's just a magnet, and it's super strong. So it's super cool. Like you can just take it off. You can put it on a little GoPro selfie stick to put in the water, third person camera angle, whatever you want. So I think like put the money in for what one of those or even the DJI one. I'm pretty sure Drew, Drew still runs those. Um, sorry, Drew, if you um, don't. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're still pretty good quality. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, for me, it's it's hard to say exactly you know, which model, because I've only used the the GoPros and of course I'm aware of their faults. So I always say straight up that, okay, well, GoPro definitely is the king of action cams, but maybe not in terms of performance. It's all pretty much what you're after in the market. But in terms of the name, yeah, they are. They're, you know, that's the that's the name that everyone knows. But then you've got um you've got about eleven well not eleven models to purchase from but like eleven models that they've made eleven iterations and you know they can say oh look I can only buy this one or should I buy this one I think from about the eight nine ten and eleven that's like four models that can be purchased just off the main camera right now that mm-hmm. you have to that you can decide from 
So it is, you know, a lot of kids ask me, so it's, you know, you don't want to tell them, hey, you should get the 11 like I have because, you know, it's the biggest, the baddest, the best, mm. you know, it's, you it may not be even a lower end model, even a model that came out 10 years ago is still going to give you a decent, you know, picture quality. But definitely like what you said, the DJIs are more reliable from what I've heard. Mm. You know, GoPros still have the overheating problem. And of course, I'm in New South Wales, which is slightly cooler. So I don't have that problem as often as someone, you know, up north as obviously in Queensland, it's going to be hot most of the time. So therefore you're going to run into that issue a lot more often than I would. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying that DJI is the best in the world. Like any camera will do the job. You just got to figure it out for yourself. Just getting a secondhand one, even on Facebook, a lot of people are selling those. Um, I think I ran the five, six, and seven, and then I sold those and then moved to the DJIs. Um, so they they good quality. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the nine, tens, elevens, but yeah, as you alluded to, that sometimes they have overheating issues. But that's technology and weather, right? Like I'm sure I'm going to come up to a fault with the DJIs at some stage. But as of right now, like the last six to twelve months when I've been using them, they've been pretty good. So yeah, hats off to them. Yeah. Now, this is another YouTube-related question, and uh, it's about some sort of address leak you had. So apparently your address got leaked on the internet, and obviously things could go bad really quickly and turn south. Yeah. Uh, so what's the story behind that? Yeah, mate, I, um, yeah, I made a boo-boo. Um, I'm sorry, wife, if you're hearing it. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I did like a challenge video a little while back, and it, for a split second, my, my address was up there. Uh, so uh, rookie error, rookie error. So, um, that's all sorted now. So, um, but it, to be honest, like I don't really hide where I live, like on my socials, like I tag a lot of like, um, stuff that I do at my local gym, um, local footy grounds, that sort of thing. So if you really wanted to, you could kind of figure out where I live. And there's a couple of people that go, Oh, I saw you here. I saw you here. I was like, yeah, that's where I live. I'm just down the road. Um, <laughs> sort of thing. So if you really wanted to, you could come find me or whatever, but I'm, you know, I'm barely home, so I'm probably out the creek fishing. Oh, all right. So <laughs> I was going to say, uh, expect some people camping outside the front of your house uh, next my, next Saturday morning and following yeah, you to your creek yeah. spot. Yeah, that's it. Well, my my two uh, cocker spaniel dogs would probably tell you off, so um, they would they would <laughs> they, they would let me know if someone was there. So yeah. Now th I'm going to keep going with this, but this is a more serious question. It's more about yeah. you know fishing and mangrove jacks. Mm, yeah. Um. I heard you have a mini series, you know, on your channel and it's about taking a kayak into some of these difficult, you know, to reach spots that we've been talking about, you know, the whole podcast. Would you like to, you know, tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, if you watch the, uh, on my YouTube channel, it was about maybe four months ago, five months ago, start of the year, basically. Um, I decided to i was again looking at google maps for a long long time and i saw this creek and i was like i gotta fish this at some stage so i had a little window of opportunity over a couple of days that i could go to this particular spot and camp nearby and um, really figure this system out over a couple of days and it was tough that's for sure like the to get into the spot like if you go back i talk about it but um it was a four kilometer walk down the beach to the creek so had the kayak in tow with a couple of set of kayak wheels and walking it four kilometers down. And on the last day, actually, I, um, I got maybe two and a half kilometers down. It was raining two and a half yeah. kilometers down and I forgot my camera gear. 
Oh and no! My car. So I had to stop, stop, leave all the gear, and I ran back because I was starting to lose that bite window or whatever that I was thinking that was going to happen. But fortunately, like that, some of those um, conditions that I was talking about earlier, they were like that for the three or four days that I was there. Um, yeah. Overclear, overcast, raining, high barometer, humid. It was yeah. disgusting. Like it was like I was sweating out of everywhere. And um, but then it was raining at the same time. But um, it was um, absolutely like amazing sort of experience. And uh, that sort of area like is really really cool. And there, there's a handful of them. There's a number of them all up and down the coast um, in southeast Queensland. Um, only you know a cup an hour or so, or a couple of hours drive from Brisbane, the heart of Brisbane. Um, yep. So you can definitely get into that sort of experience. And um, I'm hoping to do a similar series later in the year so that's probably a leak for any of the subscribers or people that want to watch it so i'm hoping to do something towards the end of the year and hopefully more towards the future and maybe different systems and maybe even different species too eventually at some stage i've definitely set on the jacks but um as you mentioned earlier you went on the weekend but i've never caught a murray cod so that'd be something that'd be something you know in the in the future to do you know a couple of days in the gorge country or something like that like that sort of sense of adventure um fishing's half of it you know, fishing's half of it. Like I don't. If I used to get cranky when I didn't catch anything, um, like I go home sulking, um, cranky, wide in it. But half the time now, these skinny creeks and stuff like that, it's beautiful just being out there. Early morning, birds chirping, the you know bugs are going, um, the you know mullet are scooting the shallows. It's it's picturesque, and it's crazy to think that you know civilization is just down the road from it. Um, yeah. But 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 you are far away from people. You can't hear anyone. Can't hear anything um it's crazy it's really really crazy so um that's what i definitely love um about fishing that's for sure fantastic dan um look i've had a great time talking to you tonight about mangrove jacks in southeast queensland it was a pleasure to have you on but you know before we sign out i'd just like to ask you how can people you know get in touch with you and you know is there anyone that you'd like to thank yeah, so um, pretty easy to find me. So um, basically, I'm on YouTube, Instagram, and uh, Facebook, and it's just Dang Fishing. So my name Dan Goulding, Dan G. So just one word, Dang the A N G, Fishing. And uh, yeah, that's on YouTube. YouTube's my main one. So I try to upload every week or so. And um, in summertime, it's mainly jacks and bass sort of stuff. If I don't donut, and then in the winter, I do a lot of you know tackle talk or um flatties or dewies a lot of land-based stuff as well so i try to vary it up where i can so it's not just jack stuff but we're very lucky in southeast queensland to have a variety of different species so i could one day go for freshwater bass and then one day i could go for taylor off the rocks or i can go for brim or i can go for jacks or flathead we're very very lucky um yep. and even barra showing up you know barra and that sort of thing are showing up so it's really really cool um but yeah mainly youtube i'll be on instagram as well i try to post as much as i can there facebook's kind of um here and there i've been using it for a little bit but um definitely instagram and facebook uh instagram is just dang fishing as well dang got fishing i believe uh, yeah. but if you've got any questions for me like i tend to reply to comments on videos within the day i try to um, yeah. and then if even if they direct message me I'm, I'm more than willing to share sort of opinions or stuff like that any sort of tips or tricks, even if it's, you know, not just jack related, it might be kayak related or um, what lures or what rods or something like that. So I'm more yeah. than happy to help. Even those questions to say, what's a good spot for for jacks? Yeah, mate. Uh, Southeast Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> it- oh, that's awesome. Um, anyone else you'd like, any 
people you'd like to thank or, you know, organizations or sponsors or anything like of the sort? Yeah, um, I'm not sponsored. So um, I, I, I'm just at that way where at the moment where I can pick and choose what I want to use. Um, so I'm testing everything, every sort of lure. I'm trying to learn all that sort of stuff. So no real sponsors. Yeah. Like my wife's the, the wife's a big um, picture bidder, so she, you know, supports me. At the start, she was kind of like, "What's this whole YouTube thing about?" But now she's realizing like how much it makes me a better person. So I generally want to like thank her. Like she. I think that's. Got uh, I got to cut you off there. Fishing yeah. makes people a better person. Did you hear that? Yeah. That's I one hundred percent believe in that. Absolutely. Um, like, yeah. If you have a partner that likes fishing, I think if they hardy set on that, you best let them go. It's gonna help them become the best person they can, they can be yeah absolutely yeah no 100 percent. like if i haven't gone fishing for a week or two i get cranky and yeah. uh and then my wife's just like off you go you need to go fishing or whatever so um yeah. no she's a big supporter of me so i definitely appreciate her and um yeah other than that just the, the family they, they try to get around me and support me and do that sort of stuff but yeah mainly mainly on myself you know just trying to figure out this fishing thing as i go along All right, ladies and gents, um, that's it. I'm going to wrap up the podcast here with Dan Goulding, Southeast Queensland, Mangrove Jacks. If you have any questions, of course, put it down in the comment section. This is going to be uploaded, obviously, on all the podcast platforms and also on the YouTube podcast channel. And and like he said, if if you want to reach out to him, you got any questions, I'm going to have his link also in the description and you can go find him on the socials. And yeah, thanks again. Dan for coming on board and ladies and gents hope you had a good one Uh, this is the shroom signing out